All right, hello. Welcome to episode number 35 of the At YouTube podcast, where we talk about all things YouTube, including new album news, tour dates, community discussions from the staff and of uh, At YouTube. And uh, joining me for this episode, first of all, it's more important maybe to say who's not joining me, Matt uh, Boss McGee is not here. So um, all bets are off, all gloves are off, all drinks are poured, and uh, we will have a, an interesting episode. Is, first, this his first, is this his first no-show, Chris? No, he's uh, he's no-showed before, uh, and, and he did give us warning, so this isn't the last-minute thing. I don't want to throw him under the bus or anything, but uh, he <laughs> he's not here anyways. That's what we'll say. Um but uh, that lovely voice you hear right now is uh, one Michael Vox answer guy. Welcome back to the show. Thank you very much, Chris. This is your second appearance? This is my second appearance the... for this second album. See what I did there? Nice. <laughs> and also joining me from across the pond is Aaron. Welcome back to the show, Aaron. Hi. Great to be back. Looking forward to this one. Particularly because Matt's not here this time. So, you know, we're... Uh, we're as loose as a goose and hunky for funky, as they would say. BP Fallon. Uh, and Kenny also is here from across the pond. A couple ponds, yeah, I think. Hi there. How are you doing? <laughs> Good. How are you, Kenny? I'm just not quite, I'm just really not quite sure how to follow Aaron there. I mean, what do you say after <laughs> that, really? <laughs> not much, I guess. If, you, if you're quoting BP Fallon, then uh, I think that sets the bar pretty high. Uh, so we'll go down from there. <laughs> so. <laughs> On this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, the album October, U2's second album, which uh, coincidentally enough, Sherry reminded us in the chat room or in our uh, Slack for yeah, U2 site that it's appropriately enough, it's uh, October's 35th anniversary of the album release, and it's also episode 35 of our podcast. So it's almost like we planned that, but uh, unfortunately we didn't, but uh, we'll take credit for that lining up nicely anyways. Um, but before we get into October, we're going to do a bit of uh, miscellaneous discussions and answer some of the Ask at You 2 questions that came in over the last couple of weeks. First of all, some big news um, that uh, I think Aaron can probably fill in a bit more details on, but the you, anybody in the world, is formally invited to uh, what we're calling hashtag at U240 Dublin, uh, fun night of live music, trivia, and more happening September 24th at the Grand Social. So Aaron, uh, do you have a few details to... Spin. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the, this is the very first At You To European event, and uh, we're very proud that we've managed to get this event on. It's always very difficult because, of course, we're myself, Kenny, and a few of the other guys in the team in Europe, we're all fairly new to all this, so this is the first time we've actually managed to organize anything. And uh, it was only a few few months back, of course, that the U240 um, hashtag starting to pair in, and of course, it is a special year. You know, September the twenty fifth, nineteen seventy six, is the time the, uh, the the current U two lineup met up with three other guys, including Edge's um, elder brother, in the kitchen in Rosemont Avenue in Dublin. And uh, yep, this is the the time to celebrate it. And um, so, you know, we've got some some a, a great band in. Uh, the Joshua Tree. This is Ireland's uh, best U2 uh, tribute act, and we've also got um, an, another band coming in from Scotland uh, called December, and uh, they've um, been um, working gingerly way over the last year in some U2 tribute type songs, uh, doing cover versions as well. And um, so they're going to be playing a short set. Uh, the concert is being held in the Grand Social, which is on uh, Lower Liffey Street, right in the centre of Dublin. It's a great place for entertainment. Um, 
the show is starting at 7 o'clock and ending late, and I'm hoping as late as possible because <laughs> it's going to go on for a, for a good uh, good few uh, hours beyond uh, the, the, the encores, I'm sure. Um, but, yeah, Saturday, uh, 24th of September. Um, the following day, obviously, is technically the 40th anniversary, if we understand the history books correctly. Um, but we're also having some other plans um, on the night, Um at this point, we're probably going to hold a quiz to start the show up. We're also hoping potentially to get some um, special guests. Um, nothing, of course, may I hasten to add, quite like the, the happening. That must be, is that one year ago? There's something happened in New York? I yeah, I think, think so. Matt, Matt, Matt can help us on that one. I'm sure yeah. he, he would remember it better than anybody. Um, but no, no, no big promises like that. I would like to re- reassure everybody. Can't pull that one off, um, much as I'd like to. But uh, no, the, the, it's been good because we've shared it on Facebook this morning. We've shared it on Twitter. Lots of U2 fans who I've never heard of. Some of them I know from various uh, times I've met them around the world and people I've never heard of before in my life have contacted me today and it's it's been great. Um, as I say, I, we're hoping for a sellout. At the Grand Social is um, a lovely new venue. It was event venue of the year in 2012. Um and thanks to the Joshua Tree, particularly Mick, um, who's the edge, plays the guitar. He's um, been very, very good at getting the venue sorted for that for that night. And uh, as I say, it's going to be around 300, 350 ticket sales. The tickets are 14 euros and 50 cents, which uh, I have no idea what that is in US dollars. It's probably close to uh, $14.50, I think. It's not far off. And UK sterling, well... <laughs> God knows what that is now with the changes. <laughs> it's it's but, a lot uh, cheaper than it used to be. Congratulations. Yeah, 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 yeah. Currently yeah. about sixteen dollars, I think, is US dollars. Six, so sixteen US dollars. Yeah. So yeah. Once you factor in the flight, it's, yeah. it's cheap. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> and uh, no, we're we're really looking forward to it. I mean, we as it gets closer to the time, we'll also be planning to do some other U two themed events. You know, there'll be other things going on in Dublin that weekend, no doubt. Um, I think we're trying to get in contact with Dave Griffiths, who does the uh, walking tours. So it'll be a special weekend for everybody, I'm sure it will. And uh, I'm sure we'll get traditional Irish weather. Lots of rain. <laughs> lots and lots of rain. <laughs> and you'll be there signing autographs, of course, on behalf of the podcast. I, I will do, okay. yes, yes. Yeah. I shall uh, be <laughs> planning to do a cover version, especially for Matt, who can periscope it of Volcano, because I know how much he loves that song. Um, Volcano's terrible. Oh, Sleep like a baby tonight. All, all, the ones, <laughs> all the good ones. All the ones. Yeah, all the ones he loves. Yeah, loves <laughs> Awesome. So yeah, there's a link. It'll be in the show notes for the uh, in the podcast episode. Obviously, you can visit at u2.com to find the link to the where you can buy your tickets and obviously get them as soon as you can once you know you're headed over there because uh, it'll be a good time and I'm sure I, I have no doubt it'll sell out uh, just because anything U2 related, even if they don't know <laughs> at U2 uh, in Dublin, I think will always be a quick sellout and uh, lots of folks will hop into the party. Um, and also coming up, um, this is weird. We didn't, we hadn't anticipated having some announcement of you two themselves actually playing, but it, they're slated to perform at Dreamforce, which is an, an annual conference taking place October 4th to 7th in San Francisco. Um, they're scheduled to appear as a featuring featured guest, I guess at the cow palace arena, which sounds regal. And uh, <laughs> you will, <laughs> 
Only be set back right now if you register early by October 3rd. Tickets are only $1,800 US dollars. So um, you have to basically, you have to pay for the entire conference to attend the concert. So you have to be a pretty dedicated U2 fan to want to go to a conference. Sales, Dreamforce is uh, the conference put on by Salesforce, which is the web, et cetera, uh, selling app, I guess. I don't know. There's better description for that, but we don't care about that. We care about you too. So um, I don't know. Does anybody here have a, a, a connection into the, the Dreamforce <laughs> conference? It is, it is uh, 25 miles up the freeway from where I'm presently sitting. Right. And uh, you two have played the Cow Palace. I don't want to pull a Matt McGee right now, but I believe their last appearance was an amnesty show in 1986. I hope that's right. I would like the fact checkers to go out there. But it's ugly. It's been there since like the 60s. It's in South City. It's not even in San Francisco. And I can't wait to hear from techie people that I might know that will, by mistake, find their way into this conference and take pictures with my favorite band. Because that yeah. happens all the time. Because they have the eighteen hundred dollars. Yeah, that's. I know that's. I'm not looking forward to the folks who are who are going to complain that U two is was uh, dropped on them for free or whatever at this conference. Yeah, they appeared at my conference <laughs> without my permission. How exactly. do I get them off? Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, I stayed in a, a hotel somewhere near the Cow Palace one time when I was visiting San Francisco, and and I can just from afar, anyways, it definitely does not look very. Uh, it's not the Sydney Opera House. No, let's just say that. <laughs> Yeah, those would be the two good two extremes. The two extremes, right? <laughs> so, anyways, but either way, it's still cool. It's, I mean, it's it's obviously a tie-in from uh, Salesforce uh, being sales. Is it Salesforce? For some reason, that feels wrong, but maybe somebody will correct me afterwards. But anyway, Salesforce sponsoring uh, a bit of the tour and stuff like that, and uh, and being involved with you two that way. So there's some sort of tie-in there. There's um, much gnashing of teeth over, you know, is this U2 selling out or not? And all those, those kinds of things, which we'll save for Twitter discussions and arguments at uh, maybe in Dublin at the U240 <laughs> special. <laughs> but at any rate, um, something to look forward to. And uh, hopefully somebody will be in there who is a legit U2 fan. I'm sure there will be more than one or two um, that can will be streaming and or reporting anyways on how the band plays and what they play, all that kind of stuff. So mark that on your calendars i guess and uh let's move on to the uh inbox segment of our podcast the ask you two questions that folks have submitted via twitter using the hashtag ask at you two we have uh, a bunch of interesting questions and some that are related to our our october discussion so we'll save those for the uh when we get to that in the round table but uh first up from at lion holic what are the best unofficial u2 albums out there bootlegs fruit legs unofficial collections etc does anybody have a a favorite unofficial u2 album oh for me i quite enjoyed what is i think it's probably called the gobbledygook tapes so the, you know this is the uh the acton baby pre-recordings oh right yeah. going, going back to 1990 i mean you know there's so many different things to listen to i mean i i had that i must have got that a long long time ago on a cassette and i know there's since then it's come out as salome or something like that and there's about six cds worth and it goes on for hours and hours and hours so that was always very interesting because there's lots of tracks on there that uh, it, it was it was great to have because because you weren't supposed to have it. That was that was the that was the thrill of it all. Of course, you know, imagine imagine stealing music for free nowadays. Eh? Good <laughs> God. It wouldn't happen, would it? Yeah, 
Yeah, that's an interesting one, and and definitely getting getting to hear like early nuggets of songs that sort of became something different, parts that were used for other songs, and and getting a peek inside the U 2s songwriting process. Yeah, that's right. And since the anniversary of Acton Baby, you know, you you know, with Bono and Edge explaining how many of the songs were formed, you know, between one and Mysterious Ways, kind of split off into two different into two different songs, and you can hear that actually very much on on these recordings, which go back to early 1990, you know, almost a good two years before the eventual release of Acton Baby. Yeah. So that's, that's my favorite. The one I know, I don't know if this is, this would be, I guess, an unofficial release of sorts, but the one I always listen to a lot, uh, used to listen to a ton is the outside broadcast of the zoo TV tour. Mm. I guess it was kind of like an official release, but it wasn't released as an album. So I don't know if that qualifies. Sorry, uh, at Lion Hollick, if we're breaking the rules of your question, <laughs> but it's our podcast. So, um, but yeah, definitely the interspersed with the sort of communication and radio, uh, static and whatever stuff that they kind of interspersed into the, the mm. live recording, I think was, was just kind of, especially for someone who hadn't seen the show, had only seen the VHS or whatever, was just kind of a good way to Reminisce. did have the chaos of the of the live show that's a, that's a great one because yeah. there are those radio bits and i think isn't someone trying to get into the studio and bono's knocking on the door and yeah. they do skits almost yeah it's yeah, it's, it's a weird one stuff. especially thinking of them now uh the band now and not that they take themselves ultra seriously but they've definitely kind of don't uh don't have the same kind of fun with some of the media and promotion stuff that they do the way they used to um yeah. so how about you? I got a I got a couple for older people. Um, the uh, the Rosemont Horizon show from Chicago was by far the most popular one. Whenever I talked to friends that wanted to talk about the uh, the bootlegs they had found, I feel like it's it's either Joshua Tree or Unforgettable Fire, probably Joshua Tree. And then we're talking about um, October today, and I've been listening a lot just to see what these songs sounded like early live. They played a radio promo show on a riverboat in New Orleans. Yeah, four months after the release of this, it's called Riverboat President, and it's just a young band. Um, it's from February of eighty-two. That? That's that's the Steamboat one, isn't it? Yeah, the Steamboat yeah. one, um, and it's it's pretty good. It's a tight set, and they play just boy. They only had two albums to work with, so they played I don't know fifteen songs, but you can just hear their eagerness. It just mm. comes shooting out, right? Um, and they know they're losing the crowd when they're singing about God, and yet they keep doing it. But I guess that's more of a discussion when we get to the October stuff. Those are the two that I like. Yeah, uh, Fabiano in the chat room asked if <laughs> I'll be inserting a link of these bootlegs in the podcast note. Um, we'll, we'll, uh, there's Google. Yeah, <laughs> Google has a way. <laughs> um, Kenny, anything jump out for you? Uh, to be honest, I think the main one for me uh, is uh, it was a, a bootleg of, of the war tour, uh, Glasgow Tiffany's. Yes. Um, and uh, part of the reason, uh, I mean, apart from obviously it's in Scotland, it was actually my very first ever U2 show. So uh, I had the joy of the fact that somebody, and I only discovered this later on, that somebody had, um, had, had obviously bootlegged it. So, um, and I like it just because it was quite a calamitous night. Um, Bono did what he did a lot in those days, which was forget his lyrics. He obviously didn't have teleprompters and all that kind of sort of stuff. Um, uh, but yeah, that, that's a favourite of mine. It was a, so it was a show you were at as well as got to hear, or I was at it as well. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. So that, yeah. That is awesome. yeah, so so that's kind of wild. That was uh, yeah, that was my very first ever. That's YouTube called show. Um, a night at Tiffany's. 
if you um, bought it in the U.S., I think I got a, a record version of that. But I think he, doesn't he sing? You take the high road, I'll take the low road. And That's exactly lights, does. Right? He does. Oh my That's god! Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love. And like I don't a, even know enough about bootlegs, but that's one I always remember. Yeah, um, yeah. Good choice, dude. Yeah, it's a funny bit of synergy to that. And you were there. I think yeah. I heard you cheering. Oh my god, that was years ago. <laughs> Kenny, was, Kenny, when I when I saw you in Dublin, you were still wearing that T-shirt you bought. That <laughs> that's an outrage. There's actually part of the show when you can hear there's, there's somebody tries to storm the stage and he talks about the security and stuff like that. That was me. It wasn't really, by the way. I'm just saying that. But. Awesome. That's that's very cool. Yeah, it's. I remember finding I was at a YouTube the Pop Mart show in Edmonton in Alberta and uh, and then finding the bootleg later or whatever from some fan there or whatever. And it's just like it wasn't an amazing show. It ended with a thunderstorm or whatever, and it was kind of fun that way, but just hearing the show that you were at or whatever is just kind of special and, and neat and uh, thankful for all the YouTube fans who do record stuff. And uh, especially back in the day, these days, it seems like everybody's got a, there's tons of, uh, of video and, and audio from shows, but having some of the older stuff is kind of cool. So we'll do our best to point you in the right direction of something that is hopefully legal <laughs> to find those. <laughs> uh, all right, moving on at ranting geeks asked, if you could hear one YouTube album in full, what would it be? My choice is Actung Baby. After all these years, it's a true masterpiece. And I'm assuming they mean live. Obviously, we can yeah. hear the album in full if you want to. Um, Kenny, do you have a, a response for Ranting Geeks? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I'd actually go with Boy. Um, just simply because uh, they don't play an awful lot of that stuff these days. Um, and I kind of missed, I got, I got some of it, but I kind of missed a lot of that stuff. Um, and I just think that that would be, yeah, I think that would be, I, I think it'd just be fantastic, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I was going to cheat and say Boy October and War because I'd love to actually hear that entire tri- trilogy, but I'm not actually entirely sure if that's breaking the rule of the question. <laughs> um, but uh, certainly, if I was going to choose one of those three, I would go with Boy just simply because, um, uh, as I say, I'd less opportunity to hear that stuff live. Right. Aaron, how about you? Yeah, actually, it's interesting. I was just thinking that, and you know, my favourite album, definitely Acton Baby. But I mean, I've heard the track so many times. But boy, for me again, because you know, it's 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 not an album that I I grew up with. You know, it was two one or two years old before I became a U two fan. But I heard a lot of the tracks live, as Kenny would have done around the war tour time, and. It's been a long time since some of the tracks have been played live and certainly since I've heard them. I mean, I'm just thinking of A Day Without Me, for instance, Kenny. You know, I, I would have loved to have heard that again yeah. on the last tour, particularly being the Songs songs of Innocence tour, you know. And, okay, they jump back to I Will Follow, they jump back to um, Out of Control some of the nights and things like Stories for Boys. You just don't, you don't hear them enough anymore. You know, they played Ancat Dove, and into the heart, back on was that Vertigo tour? I can't remember now. I know it yeah. wasn't Vertigo. It was. Um, yeah, I think it was Vertigo. Was it? Yeah. Might have been Vertigo. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so, I, but I'd love to hear those songs again, but played by the same guys. You know, thirty six, thirty seven years on, from when they were written, one after the other, it'd be just great. Yeah, and uh, how about you, Michael? Anything that's I, I, I sort of hear this question as what is your favorite album which is joshua tree for me and i have heard all of the songs live but never in album order and i don't know how important that is but to have both 
uh, One Tree Hill and Mothers of the Disappeared at at the same show to send everybody out in a bad mood would be one of those fantastic. <laughs> anything in its entirety would be great because they'd have to play those songs we haven't heard. Yeah. Right. Along with the ones we're all waiting for. And, you know, I mean, that's how we originally heard them in the old days when you had to play a record from start to finish. Yeah. But it, the, there's actually quite a lot of um, musical acts doing that now. I mean, inevitably it's heritage, a bit more heritage acts. But I mean, for instance, I have seen Lou Reed play Berlin from start to finish. And that was probably about six, seven years ago. And um, the album would have been around 35 years old at that point. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I was two, three weeks ago, I saw Adam Ant play um, Kings of the World Frontier album from start to finish. And they really are fantastic shows. If you're really into the album, they kind of lose the audience if the audience is just there to hear their single or they're there to hear yeah. um, a Grace Hit show because they don't do that. You know, saying <laughs> Lou Reed never played Grace Hit show. Um, you know, that wasn't his style. Yeah. And I, you know, as much as I'd love you to, to, to do it, I don't want them to do it because it kind of means that they're getting a bit <laughs> long, you know, yeah. longer the tooth and whatever. But yeah. it would be brilliant just to have that treat. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things that even as the artist you think of, they, they don't, you know, they didn't play the album, you know, start to finish that way either. They record the album in, you know, songs or whatever in various orders and then piece it together after the fact and probably have never done it themselves either. So it's kind of a, it's an interesting experiment, but I could see you two doing it in like, you know, some future days where it's, they're just like broadcasting from the studio as they, you know, Adam rolls out of the shower in his bathrobe and they just show up and play the album as a special event or whatever, but not like uh, going around the world playing acting baby over and over and over. Uh, mm. I think, but it's a fun, fun uh, question to answer anyways too. So, yeah. um, so one similar question from ranting geeks, uh, was if you could rearrange the track listing for one album, what would it be? Uh, and for this person, it was all that you can't leave behind could flow a bit better. Um, Kenny, how about you? What, any, anything? Yeah. Jump? I mean, I, I had to really look at that and I thought, Hmm, uh, and actually, I, I'm kind of, I'm actually quite settled with all, um, with all um, the the track listing. I'm I'm probably easy come, easy go when it comes to that stuff. However, uh, if I was going to just go and look at one, um, it would be pop actually, and I'd love them to start off with mofo, um, as opposed to discotheque, um, just because it's such a driving, heavy song. Um, so I, I think that's the one. Whenever I listen to that album, I think it just doesn't doesn't land quite right for me where uh, Mofo sits, and it just feels like it would be better at the head or at the beginning of that record as opposed to sort of kind of third in line. It doesn't feel like a. I think it's third anyway. Yeah. Um, um, so so that would be my choice. I think. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Aaron? Anything that you? Um, I agree with. Um with um sorry who's the chap who's just wrote in um Ranting Ranting geek. Geek. mr yeah. geek to you yeah. mr geek to me yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would agree with um, all that he can't leave behind and the way the reason for that is very simple that was probably the first album i downloaded for free obviously bought it in 29 different versions since but <laughs> i i bought that and um, downloaded that off some dodgy website at the time and cut it onto a CD, but in the wrong order. Oh, interesting. And I've still got that CD, and basically my CD goes like this. Beautiful day, elevation, stuck in a moment. 
rather than beautiful day stuck at a moment elevation. So even and and despite probably listening to all that you can't leave behind, not as much now as I used to, I still have elevation. I'm expecting elevation to kick in straight after beautiful day. So for me, my mistake because I listened to that album nonstop for about three weeks before it was actually released. I'm always expecting elevation to kick in after a beautiful day. And to me, it's much better that way. So yeah. I, I reckon they should do a product recall and get all those albums. <laughs> yeah. The Aaron remix. The, yeah, for me, there's something about, uh, I think from listening to Actung Baby so often, I, I agree with you, and that having the third song be like the emotional, you know, heart-wrenching, whatever kind of song <laughs> fits to me with my mind in U2. Not that they've done it on every album, but like with one being song three, then it feels like that's, that's the template. You do that one. And then <laughs> number three is always like the one that kind of you build up to and have sort of a bit of the more emotional release or whatever. So, but uh, we're going to keep moving because uh, we're going to end up just having a <laughs> question and answer time um, be the whole podcast. And we won't actually get to October, which uh, at Charaf asked, uh, I'm a new YouTube fan yet. I'm Bono's age. Welcome to the YouTube fan yeah. club. Uh, I was wondering when you two sponsored the iPod years ago, was it preloaded with YouTube music? Um, and, uh, Michael, do you have a, you have, you did some researching. I just, I just know that, um, the one that was black and red, which was cooler than the others, this was the kind that you could, um, turn your thumb around. I'm making a thumb motion right now. Can you guys see that? <laughs> no, you can't. All right. Um, but it was substantially more expensive. I feel like it was $500 just to start with. Um, and you could, in fact, Chris says, download the entire, whatever was available at iTunes at the time, all at once as part of the price. Yeah, um, and yeah. I don't I, even know. I don't know any other fans that have that. Like I don't. I have. Any, I have oh, it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I bought it, but I didn't. See, I, I can remember. I can remember it because I couldn't see the point of buying the version with the digital box set, which came with some type of little code or whatever. I mean, how? When was this? This was year two thousand or two thousand and one, wasn't it? It has to be because it came out around. Oh no, no. What am I talking about? No, two thousand five. Yeah, because um, it's yeah, yeah. black and red. Um, yeah, yeah. It'd be how to dismantle atomic bomb, wasn't it? Of course it was, yeah. Yep. And um, and it came in two options for me, certainly in the UK. One with the uh, the digital box set which you downloaded from iTunes, the old iTunes, of course, and then the one where you just bought the the um, the iPod itself. And I bought that one with right. with the uh, with the thumb and the the LED display. Yeah. <laughs> I still have one of those, you guys, in my I've, car. I've got it as well. Once in a while. Do you have? Is it the autograph? Like they're the band signatures yeah. in the back, right? That's it. Yep. Yep. That's That's right. it. I've got that as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. It came with a fifty dollars coupon for the purchase of the YouTube Digital Complete Works, which so I'm just re- referencing an old article on YouTube.com, yep. actually, uh, a popular site among YouTube fans. <laughs> Uh, that has still has it up. It's funny when you stumble across these. Are it's this is from October two thousand four. So. Um, October. Wow. Um, uh, but yeah, you stumble across these articles and read it as if it's put out today and, uh, they still have the, like the link to buy it from apple.com and stuff on it. But, um, it was a 20 gig iPod holding up to 5,000 songs, a beautiful machine. <laughs> That's what they described it as. It did look cool. I gotta yeah. say the red was, I mean, it totally separated the haves from the have nots. I right. would say not <laughs> mine was black without the red, but yeah, I think was- I, st- I still, I still use mine. Yeah, mm-hmm. and me, and me. Yeah, yeah. Those are ones with but, the spinning disc in it too. So it's like an actual little tiny hard drive. Yeah, hard drive. Yeah, which is pretty incredible when you think of uh, what is that now? 14, 16 years, I guess, going on, and yours is still spinning. So 
Yeah. It was quite good. It was 20 gig or 30 gig mine, I think. And yeah. I remember getting the, the next, I think there was three different versions. I probably got the last one as well, which was the color uh, screen. But, I mean, very basic color screen. I don't even remember whether it might have played some very poor video as well. And then I think the iPod Touch arrived and obviously the, changed the whole ethos. Yeah. <laughs> no more U2 iPod Touch, unfortunately. So. Until Bono touched Tim Cook, and then we had the new album. All right. Um, so the other questions, a couple of the other questions came in and were, are related to a bit more to uh, talking about October. So what we're doing, in case this is your first ever podcast you've listened to at the at YouTube podcast, uh, we're in lieu of the uh, hashtag YouTube40, the 40th anniversary of YouTube coming together, as Aaron alluded to earlier. We're going from boy to songs of innocence and talking about all the albums each uh, an album per episode. And uh, if we're lucky, we'll end and then YouTube will release the next album just in time, uh, or if not sooner. And so we started with episode 34. So if you're just tuning in, want to go back, um, you can go to goodstuff.fm slash ATU2 slash 34. And that, that'll get you right to the boy discussion, which we had in the previous episode. So this episode, we're talking October. And uh, so a couple of the questions that we'll just quickly go over and uh, at Bruno Caffey mentioned, am I the only one that mistook Scarlet for Rejoice? Because in Scarlet, the only lyric is Rejoice, <laughs> which... Uh, I, I'll confess up, to, up front that I'll probably do less talking in this discussion because earlier U2 is not as something that's as commonly played in my playlist, I guess, uh, over the years, CDs and now, you know, in iTunes and stuff as we play them. And so they are, I do sort of some of them, if it's just playing uh, on air or on the speakers or whatever on random and stuff like that, they do kind of blend the earlier stuff kind of blends together for me a bit more. Um, and something else that we want to talk about, uh, speaking of December, the band that's going to be at the uh, U240 party in Dublin, they tweeted at us asking, what do you think, why do you think October seems to be one of the least appreciated albums, at least in forum polls, etc.? Should say for us, it's a real fan, a real favorite, all the seeking and reaching for something not quite in their grasp yet. So um, that's definitely something we will cover. And, and uh, was it Kenny or Aaron in, in the chat room, you were, or in the uh, Slack, you were mentioning in the forum, there's a quite a healthy discussion about October itself. Yeah, it was, it was, it was me who mentioned it. Um, because uh, I actually started the, the, the thread off many, many years ago, so I did. Uh, and part of the reason I did, actually, because, I mean, I think I mentioned this the last time on, I, I was on the, the, the podcast, um, uh, I, I guess it doesn't get much love, this album, uh, and I, I've i got a lot of time for it, so I do. So actually, I probably couldn't say it quite as eloquently there as, as De- December did. Uh, but anyway, yeah, we started the thread in there, and I think it's sitting at 356 pages or something like that i do wow. have to say I've, I've probably contributed to most of that just to keep it alive <laughs> it hasn't it hasn't been posted in for a wee bit but uh, no there was a fair bit of discussion and it, it does draw that kind of love hate dynamic actually uh, across the kind of u2 population so it does so is it uh without uh transcribing all 35 pages is it kind of like a bit of a debate going on as to why yeah. or how and What's, yeah, the, 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 there's kind of a mix of things. So there's yeah. there's kind of it's actually it's an appreciation thread. So it's our October worship the October worship thread is what it's titled. Nice. Um, so it's it's all as sad October people go and just wax lyrically about why such a certain song uh, resonates, etc. But you do get the kind of debate about you know why does it get you know you know I mean constantly within the the forum uh, polls it does come bottom all the time. So. There's always discussions around about that stuff. So, but that's where we try and keep the October flame alive. So that's <laughs> the, the best way to describe it. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Got to have the album fans. Of, there's the pop fans as well who keep the pop exactly. popularity alive. And I was going to say that this is for millennials. Pop is their October. Right. right? Like yeah. they, yeah. they have to defend it to people. People say, well, what should I listen to? They have to find the one song that won't make them vomit. Kind of like we have to go like, uh, try uh, tomorrow. Right. Like I was just looking at the set list or the, sorry, the track list, what song I would send a friend to, to get like the idea of October. Right. You don't want them to play actual October. Cause then they'll think it's a piano thing or Scarlet for God's sakes. Cause there's one word. So you have to find, you know, and they've heard Gloria before, but it is not particularly chock full of hits. I also noticed that the greatest hits album only included um, October as the as the hidden track. None of the these others track. made That's it. Right? Right? <laughs> they didn't want to even <laughs> name it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously, it can't even speak its name. It's the love that can't speak its name. The album October. That's why we're here. <laughs> So here, uh, Aaron, uh, do you, by way of introduction to the album too, do you have some opening, <laughs> almost like we're defending October, I guess, but opening comments before? Well, we... I, th- I think I think um, just listening to what you guys have said, there's there's a there's a different relationship depending on your age or not so much your age, the length of time you've been a U two fan, and I guess I mean I, I'm forty seven. And October was my first album, but it was already around, just over a year old by the time I got it. So for me, it was contemporary. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, I, I, I go out and, I, I mean, I remembered the album being in the stores. I can remember the album sleeve, because, of course, in the UK, it did rather well. It got to number 11 in the charts, and a number 11 in the charts in 981 would be a number one for seven weeks you know, in, in, in today's terms, because it would have sold uh, nearly a quarter of a million, I think it, it would have sold. So it was, it was a, a quite a commercial success in some respects for, for a young band. And you uh, 2 had been heavily promoted at the time in 1981. So for me, being a 13, 14-year-old chap who's getting madly into music and soaking up everything every time he walked into a record shop and there was big uh, promos, whatever, you know, I can remember the album being there albeit i didn't actually get to buy it until i think it was january 1983 uh when new year's day came in and that was it i when i heard that i thought right this is i'm going to start buying the back catalogue and i actually listened to it the wrong way around i listened to october first and then boy so i have a very different relationship perhaps than somebody who's become a u2 fan in the late i don't know let's just say the late 1980s or the late 1990s and I can imagine if you're listening to it as a 25-year-old, as a millennial, you'll think to yourself, A, it sounds really dated, just the, the sound, Bono's voice. He's, um, you know, he, as he says, he sings like a girl. That's what he says. And I can't hear that, but other people will because they'll use, they'll hear the different uh, the tone of his voice, the different maturing of his voice as it is now. You know, regarding the rest of the band, you can't really tell when it was recorded as such because it, you know, it was remarkable for them being 20, 22-year-old young kids because as musicians, they'd only been really going for three or four years and the, the musicianship is absolutely superb. I think what's very, very significant about October is it's a very fragile album and it was, it was recorded under very fragile terms. The, you know, they had no preparation for it. They were literally touring boy like crazy. There was no 
opportunity to to do any songwriting and they literally had you know a few weeks to record the album in the summer of 1981 so the whole thing was very very uh, difficult and very very fraught and of course we've all heard about the the problems that um bono had with the the lost lyrics and the lost briefcase um you know so the whole the whole period for them was very very difficult and um you know it, it's an album that you know will be looked back on as being um underrated or least played or whatever but you know without that album you two wouldn't be with the, the band they weren't right here right now we can say that with all the albums but you know it it, it it's an absolutely important album it really yeah. put the anchor in the in the landscape yeah. for you too no two ways about it yeah. I, I would agree with that because i'd probably even go even a step further um, in so much as you know, if it wasn't for October, there wouldn't be a U two. Um, so you know, there's all the kind of well documented sort of religious angst that was going on, certainly amongst three of the uh, the band members. Um, there's the did Edge or uh, did he not leave the band for a couple of weeks? Uh, sort of scenario mm. that was going on. That's right. Um, and and you know, that combined with as you said. Very little rehearsal, lost lyrics, tunes they weren't really quite sure what to do with, um, but they kind of got themselves through it. And and you know, born out of that was war, I guess, if you want. And 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 I think for me that's why it's such a you know, if, if I think about it just purely in U uh, two history terms, that's why I think it's really really important. Apart from the fact I think it's got some great tunes on it personally, but uh, I, but I do think it's such a significant. Uh, album in that sense and it's there's always been significant elements in the U2 history and I think that's definitely one of them yeah there's no I was gonna I was curious Aaron even I don't know if you remember back then exactly the sort of that idea because looking back on it it they we do kind of as U2 uh, fans and historians or whatever it's kind of um uh, what's the word mythologized as far as like them this like myth they might be breaking up the christian you know faith stuff that was going on religious stuff and like what's happening with you too was that i guess you weren't necessarily a fan of a huge fan of the band before like you said war came out and that's kind of when what made you go back to it but um was that even a question of stuff that people would have been aware of at the time or is that just more now that we know you know looking no, back? no I, I i don't think so i mean i, I certainly didn't pick up on the religious aspect. Or, I mean, obviously, worked out it was a religious album, but I didn't have any real inkling or understanding of their involvement with Shalom, you know, which is the uh, the Christian fellowship they were involved with for a good good while, actually. And also, also all their friends and uh, many of the uh, associates of the band, you know, were were involved in that. And it, and as uh, Kenny said, yeah, I mean, at one point, Edge left the band he literally left the band um around the time of uh just after the boy uh, tour had finished uh, for, for for a few days if only but uh, they had a lot of pressure amongst themselves and the relationships between adam and larry and edge and bono really were very very difficult for a long long time as they were with uh, their own families um so it was a very difficult album for them to to record and I think, you know, Island Records in the UK or the Worldwide Record Label, if it was now, that wouldn't have happened. They would have dropped them before they had even got to record that album. 
um, so very different times. Yeah. Um, so a lot of, a lot of faith in the album, a lot of faith in you too, in uh, in getting that album recorded. And I think Steve Lillywhite as well is another unsung hero for this album because, you know, he he didn't want to do two albums in a row with um, any of his his acts. Of course, he'd already done that with you too. And of course, here he is back in the studio, just literally um, one year on recording again with you too. Um, and you know the, the the album really has um, not been a, a great fond album for U2 fans over the years. But I go back to it a lot, and I love it. I love the atmosphere of the album. It's almost a very very unique sound. Um, I agree. Some of the songs are not strong, and some of the albums are just uh, songs are just filler. There's no two ways about it. But that's only because they've released such a phenomenal amount of uh, songs and albums since but at the time you didn't think that yeah that's what mike how about you what, what's your uh, relationship as it were with october matt brought up something on uh, the boy podcast about how these guys were just kids right he mentioned that yeah. they were the they were the age of his son right now and yet they're making music and they're touring the world or parts of the world and they were still just little boys essentially when this came out and the thing that the uh, that the cover band guy said about reaching and seeking and all that is all good. Um, I came to this as this was probably my third album. I'm a um, I'm a Blood Red Sky guy. That's the one that made me go back. But I think that that's a good point that you made about um, because we know what they sound like now. This sounds like they're play acting the U2 of the future. But within that, you can hear how eager they are to own the world, right? Even though these songs are not particularly good and some of the lyrics are just laughable, but it does, in fact, have a vibe. And I think it hit me personally at an exact time that I needed that vibe in my life. And its inaccessibility made it more more of a favorite. Like, if you didn't get this album, then you weren't going to be my really good friend, even though it's kind of depressing and sad and makes you all introspective and whatever. And incidentally, I just have to speak up for the non-believers in the audience. The religious stuff on this album goes completely over my head, and I still play it all the time without that even being a part of it, which I think is part of the genius of their writing lyrics and that can be interpreted in a million different ways. And I realize that the word rejoice is all over the place, but that could just mean I'm really, really happy yeah. because my football team won or whatever, right? <laughs> yeah. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be God, although most people agree that this is their this is their God album, which is extra ironic that it's the one that I like so much. I can't figure it out either. <laughs> but I, w- I was 16 and I shared this these cassettes with girls that I crushed on. And the ones I got closer to were the ones that went home and listened with their headphones. And then we talked about it the next day. I mean, I cannot, that's all tied up. All the adolescence is tied up with this album for me. That's interesting. So it's kind of like the, the modern swipe right. Uh, or a swipe little, little bit. <laughs> yes, it, took, it took 40 <laughs> minutes though. It wasn't quite so fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, the one interesting thing that I noticed that I had no idea, I don't know how much this is a part of U2 lore or not, but Fire was recorded apparently in the Bahamas during a break on the boy tour, uh, the rest of the album being recorded at Windmill Lane in uh, Dublin. But just kind of interesting when you think of the band at that time and like, I don't associate the band with 
island or i mean they're on an island <laughs> island, <laughs> island records yeah <laughs> you know what i mean like the yeah. the sort of bahamas sitting back and i mean now you see pictures of them adam obviously etc all over the world and stuff but um yeah for me it's kind of like i think of them as this gritty band in rainy dublin like aaron said earlier and you know dark and gray and not like coming in from the beach and trying to record a, their follow-up album or whatever. It was, uh, I think that was, now, if memory serves me right, was that Chris Blackwell? Uh, it's um, Compass Point Studios, Nassau, yeah. in the Bahamas. Yeah, it has something to do with... Well, yeah. It's a working holiday with, or something uh, like that. Yeah. yeah, that's right, yeah. It is, it is during the the break on a tour in 81. It was it was the Easter, wasn't it? April of 81. And from what I remember, they carried on a bit more of the tour, then they started playing some of the the festivals and whatever. And in fact, if I remember right, uh, during the period in Wimmer Lane, they even played Slane Castle amongst That's all right. of this. So the, their, first, uh, their first appearance in Slane, they previewed some of the sh- songs. I can't remember which ones they were. It may have been with a shout and stuff like that. Songs, songs they actually very rarely played, even during the October tour in the subsequent uh, fall and the following year. But... Um, it, it was kind of crazy what they were doing at the time because you know the the whole uh, whole approach was very very difficult for them and they made it more difficult by deciding to play some shows whilst recording the album. Yeah, I want to um, if I could, Chris, could I for in case there's listeners out there that don't know the story about the briefcase, can you guys quickly do a yeah if we can, a bullet point or yeah yeah just I don't know if Kenny or Aaron if you have a better handle on the story. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, for years and years, this was a lot of mythology. And, of course, Bono, being Bono, blamed the lack of songwriting or the perceived songwriting, the poor lyrics, being blamed on him having his briefcase stolen after a show in Portland, Oregon. I can't remember when. I think it was around February, March 1981. I'm reading from the other Aaron's webpage, so this is not me. He says the foghorn in Portland, Oregon, on March 22nd, 1981. There you go. That wasn't bad, was it? And it wasn't too yeah, Very far. specific, yeah. Good job <laughs> right there. Uh, and um, so, yeah, the, 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 that was lost. And I can't remember when, but I certainly remember at U2 breaking the news. Was it around 2001, the briefcase, if not the briefcase, the contents of the briefcase, which was the scrapbook and various jottings um, that Bono had improvised lyrics and and the like were found in uh, in the united states i think again near portland oregon and um, they were then presented to bono during one of the shows in that area in uh, 2001 on the on the elevation tour and um, i think there was lots of photographs uh, shown on the on the website at the time i'm sure it's in the archive um on the U2 archive, and in reality, it was just scribblings, you know, just just nonsense um, <laughs> that uh, Bono had lost lyrics, really. There, there really wasn't very much in there at all. Um, just the jottings of a 21, 22-year-old kid, as, um, as they say. So, yeah, I think that... Um, but I think losing, probably losing the, the uh, briefcase probably knocked Bono's conference in terms of the songwriting, and the pressure that he was then under, literally singing at the microphone. And I don't think that's really changed this day. I mean, they put themselves under a lot of pressure. The songwriting style hasn't changed, but 
you know, it's the difficult second album. You've had the whole lifetime to write the first one, and as usual, just a few months to write the second one. It proves how little they were, how little power they had back then, as they shouldn't have. They were only 20-ish. But the fact that they had the studio time, couldn't cancel it or postpone it, right? So he, they had to show up without lyrics. He could make them up on the spot, which we've seen him do all the time. And I remember that um, that Unforgettable Fire video where they kind of show the making of it. And he's just trying stuff when he's singing um, Pride. Mm. He's trying different things, right? And they arrive at some at some catharsis and they find the perfect way of singing it. But that's back when they had the money and the freedom and they had the whole castle to themselves to record (laughs) it. Right. Like this, when this was going on, they had a two month window or less where they had to get in and get out. They didn't have the money to pay for it. And as, uh, when I used to review movies, I would often say that the lower, the smaller, the budget, the more creativity had to spring from that. Because you were forced to make creative decisions that you couldn't make if you had extra money or extra power. And I kind of see that here where they know that they're going to have to do this stuff. They've lost Bono's scribblings. He's going to have to make it up on the spot. And they're, you know, it, it, with, with Mm. limited success, it actually works because some of the lyrics are ridiculous and the song Scarlet only has one word. So why did Bono bother showing up for that? Um, (laughs) you know, but you can just see that they, they had to, you know, it's like when you have an essay due and you wait till the last minute and you sometimes have genius and you sometimes have terrible stuff. Yeah. But I, I like the, the chaos of this album a lot because of that. And, and, and interesting, Michael, what you say there about the chaos, despite all the chaos, despite all of the, the, the fractiousness going in the background, it's actually their calmest album. Yeah. No, that's all true. You know, it's a very peaceful album. And going back to what you said, Michael, as well, about the, the you know, just having that six or eight week uh, period in the summer of 1981 to record the album, they they literally have put every song, everything they could record on that album. I mean, we, we talked about Fire being recorded three or four months earlier. So it's an 11 track album. One has already been cut. They've got 10 more tracks that they put down. Two of them are virtually... Um, instrumentals in Scarlet and Is That All, even October is really just a, a short piano piece with some lyrics on. There isn't very much on the album. And even the 2008 remastered edition, you know, you, you, you buy that in the hope, wow, there'll be some other golden tracks that have never been recorded before, uh, released before, sorry, and there's nothing. Yeah, there is no other, there nothing. is no stuff in the vault at this That's stage. right, that's right. right. Yeah. Well, we we've uh, we're quickly approaching the one hour mark of the podcast, and we have yet to start going song by song, which is what we were we're hoping to do. So maybe we'll we'll do the if if you're exhausted at this point with October, we've probably talked more than the band spent recording. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Send, send Michael the hate mail. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I like the album. Don't don't get mad at me. Hey, at you two listeners, I will just give you a bit of a break from the October discussion to quickly thank a sponsor of this episode and actually of this podcast. Feed Press have been providing the hosting and feed support for the podcast as it gets sent out around the world to you the listeners. They do RSS analytics. So if you have a blog and maybe you need some analytics on the RSS feed and who's reading and, and following you on your blog, or if you have a podcast and you want some hosting for your podcast, you can visit feed.press slash ATU2 to try Feed Press for 14 days, no contracts or commitments. And then you can use promo code 
ATU2 during checkout to get 10% off your whole first year of hosting with them. 400 megabytes of storage, which is enough for a podcast like at U2 for sure per month that rolls over each month. So check them out, feed.press slash ATU2. Our thanks to them for supporting the at U2 podcast as well as goodstuff.fm. Now back to the show. One thing I wanted to mention, Kevin, at Kevin STU, uh, mentioned uh, on Twitter as well as part of the Ask at U2 uh, questions was please discuss the emergence of October during U2's innocence, innocence and Experience Tour and the lyrics in the context of today's global society, which is a heady question uh, to drop into as well. But uh, definitely for someone like myself, I vastly appreciate old U2 in the context of new current U2, especially live U2. And that's often has been an avenue for me to sort of go back to the archives. Because like Aaron, I think it was earlier alluded to, for me, listening to the album now, feels it does feel very dated. I said this on the uh, on the Boy discussion as well. There's certain songs that just kind of like scream 80s, kids, whatever. And some of them, it just kind of makes me, puts me in a weird place as far as music stylings and, and lyrics sometimes too. And doesn't really connect me to the current U2, but having a song like October on the, in the live set, and especially the way it was used very appropriately in the live set uh, to highlight what was going on in the world um, is a great kind of like connecting point for me anyways, going back to the older stuff. So um, anyways, at that point, let's segue now that I've discussed October, which isn't the first song uh, <laughs> on the album, let's head into the album discussion or song discussion of the album. So uh, Gloria is obviously the first song on the album and uh probably very familiar to most folks. Uh, U2 has played it numerous times over the years, but... Yeah, I mean, Gloria is... Obviously, the opening track, it gently comes in. As I say, it's a very gentle sound on album, and the way Lily White's done the production is great. And I think, uh, you know, how Gloria comes in, we've got a, a chorus of uh, Latin, you know, that's pretty brave for a 20 yeah, year rock old and roll. band. <laughs> and we've got a, you know, yeah, Gloria in Te Domine, Gloria Exaltate, you know, all of that is, wow, you know, you can't believe what you're hearing. Uh, we've got a great bass solo. We've got a great sliding guitar solo. Wait, wait, wait! I have to stop you. Is the bass, bass solo. solo? Is the bass solo great? I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is where maybe again. He, go ahead, Kenny. I was, was going to say I think his hair gets in the way somewhere along the lines. <laughs> That's what we didn't talk about the album cover and Adam. As a, <laughs> just Adam is a, a whole episode on himself. I think that we could discuss. Uh, at some point, and I'm sure there's plenty of people who love to talk about Adam for hours, but I, I listen to the bass solo and I think there's a kid who was told he has to put a bass solo in, has no <laughs> idea how to do a bass solo and just like slaps the bass for a while. And I know I'm not like the haters on or the, the lovers of Adam and bass stuff in general. I appreciate that it still does take skill and talent to do what he did. I'm not just saying that he's like, you know, there's the people who think Adam can only play with or without you style bass lines or whatever. And I know that's not the case. He's a very talented bass player. But to me, when I hear it, I think, yeah, it's like I, as a musician, I can totally feel that, that moment when the, the lead singer looks over to you for the solo and you're like, this song is in a key. I have no idea how I'm going to play a solo and I'm going to just try and do something here and hopefully it works. And so anyways, 
Um, that's a two-minute round on Adam's big No, no, I understand, I understand. <laughs> but it, it is, it is, you know, it, it is of its time, isn't it? And, um, yeah, you know, yeah. Adam obviously thinks he's quite cool. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from. Remember but the live is, shows The live shows in that era, that's when he could point to him and say, Adam Clayton. And right. then he'd do yeah. his little boop, boop, boop. On the other hand, though, what Chris was just saying, that that's the bass line. I'm not a musician at all. That's the bass line I would learn. So at parties when people go, can you play any bass? I'd go, can I? <laughs> Step aside. Here I go, boop, boop, boo, boo, boop, boo. boo. <laughs> And I'd be the hit of the party. Uh, yeah. in and you know, he, he might actually not have played the bass at all, but he might have just done what you've done, just go boo, boo, boo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Of course, of course, that, that uh, Gloria ended up on MTV, didn't it? Yes. Yeah, that was the, the, yeah, the, it was the, the first, the, um, first, the video, first room the vi- rotation video, wasn't it? Yeah. That's right, the video on the barge in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. I'd like to speak up for the uh, for the harmony, which I wish they had done more of. This might be the last time that kind of thing happens where I go like, Oh my God, they're like a choir. Right. It, but it's, it's a, what is it? A Gregorian chant, I think is the description, isn't it? How it's described as. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, Fabiano in the chat room has suggested Gloria, a great bass solo as a title for this episode. So if, if I lose my, <laughs> lose the battle, you'll know that was, right. it was not my choice, but anyways, um, I fall down is the next track. One note I had, and, and Kenny, you can maybe jump in on this one, but is is uh, on the musician side, I guess, acoustic acoustic guitar sounds that you don't actually often hear these days and don't associate that much with U2, kind of prevalent throughout this song. But uh, Kenny, you had some thoughts on I Fall Down. Yeah, actually, the musicality of this song, I, I think, is kind of fairly underrated, actually. Um, and, and, and I'm with you, it's kind of edge in the, the keyboard piece, which sort of came to life throughout the album on certain tracks which I think at the time I think Bono has said I remember reading it somewhere he said we didn't realise that Edge could play the piano and Edge said he didn't realise he could play the piano either so <laughs> uh, so so that kind of came through in this track but part actually why I quite like like this um, this track I, I, I like the I guess the kind of well I actually like the lyrics in this and I know we've actually talked about the fact that a lot of the stuff uh, is pretty uh, pretty minimal to say the least as in one word etc but I like there's a bit of storytelling in this one you know Julie says John I'm getting nowhere um, I wrote this letter hope to get to some place soon I just think that's such a great opening mm-hmm. two or three lines you know so um, so uh, you know uh, uh, I guess for me that's why that resonates with me I just like the and, and allegedly it's about you know as per usual it's, it's Bono relating it to I can't remember who it was, but it was somebody. I think it's um, it. it's Pod, isn't it? It's Pod that's from the right, Virgin Prunes, who is right, um, right. who is a near neighbour in Cedarwood Road, and Pod that's was right. actually a roadie for you two for the Boy Tour and through most of the October Tour. This was a good uh, scream in your car vocalist thing for those of you frustrated singers out there because you just yell, <laughs> you fall down. Everybody can do that. I don't even know what it was about, but I could sing that part loudly. <laughs> um, it's good. We we don't know. Julie is who is Julie to Pod? What's the? Well, we think I think Julie is 
Uh, well, Pod's girlfriend. as I understand, it was Julie was Pod's girlfriend, yeah. And and okay. Pod's real name is Anthony Murphy, so it's he isn't uh, John, but it's an illusion, isn't it? Obviously, yes. Um, but it, you know, that, I, I can't remember. I've read that actually. I don't know where I've got that in my memory bank, to be honest with you. But uh, <laughs> it's probably in the Niall Stokes book or something like that. Um, but yeah, it's a great, it's a great song. It's a real upbeat song, actually, despite the lyrics. <laughs> I love yeah. it. Cool, very cool. Okay, moving on. We're going to keep us moving. I threw a brick through a window. One note I had was just the the heavy tom tom intro uh, and outro by uh, Larry, and uh, and perhaps uh, I'm wondering if maybe Bono was in there helping on the tom tom. It's just like a bit of stress relief on the drums, trying to get the lyrics out as they recorded, and and just wanted to hit something for a while just to help jog his uh, brain going in through. But I think I think I tell you what I would say about it. Michael was talking about you know uh, I fall down being one of those ones for singing in the car. I think I threw bricks kind of for all you air drummers out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I, I think it's great. I absolutely love it. Yeah, well, I think, just yeah. Turn it up and put headphones on. Yeah, that's fantastic. fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's definitely something for anybody who, like, uh, hopefully you have the experience, obviously. You can put the music on a great big stereo, obviously, in your house or whatever, but listening to some of the earlier stuff, especially on headphones and getting to experience a bit more of the, just the different recording styles and obviously things that aren't quite so uh, what's the word? I'm precise and and fine that you know recordings nowadays can be with computers obviously involved where they were actually you know recording onto tapes and things like that. The, the great thing about the October album as well it's it's recorded all on analog tape. It's really hissy soundboard. It's not a very great one. It's probably only a 16 track uh, recording studio at the time in '81 in Wimmer Lane. And I, I mean I was very fortunate to go to Wimmer Lane a couple of times in the early 80s, right through to Unforgettable Fire. And it's t- it was tiny, absolutely tiny. So the, the, the drum sound, you can understand, you know, and the, again, the, the drums being taken out of the studio, being put in the, in the reception area of the footwell, I remember. I've got some photographs <laughs> of that. And you can understand how Lady White got the sound, you know, with the hanging microphones down from the top end of the studio. And it is a, that's why I love this album. It has such a unique sound. It's really experimental. Yeah. I, I want to say two things about this, Chris. One, it's got the, uh, it's got the quote that people put on their bumper stickers and their, um, their signature lines on email going forward, which was, no one is blinder than he who will not see. So that became like a, a religious touchstone for some of my friends that were fans. And also, this is a song, this plus uh, I Fall Down, I would... I would use as exhibit A when people laugh in present day concerts when Bono says, we grew up on punk, we were a punk band. And people go, you guys are millionaires flying in Learjets, you don't know what punk is. And what punk is to me is a group of people that don't exactly know how to play. Uh, exhibit A is Adam's bass solo. <laughs> the The lyrics aren't particularly strong. They don't make that much sense. But the passion behind it is enough to make up for that at a young stage. Um, this is a punk album to me, even though it also has a calm mood and it's got a lot of God in it. I just find that this is a bunch of 20-year-olds trying to find their way, which is kind of what I think punk is. I like this song a lot. 
Yeah. And Michael, Michael, you're right, because I threw a brick through a window. If you listen to Larry's drum patterns, he's all over the place. He's yeah. completely out of tempo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. And that's, it's lovely to hear that. You don't want to hear the perfection all the time. Yeah, that's what I remember my guitar instructor years ago making fun of you too because he couldn't stand that Larry couldn't hold a beat or whatever. I mean, this is a relative to a very picky, you know, anal retentive guitar metronome kind of guy or whatever. So I definitely appreciate where Michael's coming from as far as the punk side of it too because we've all heard bands that have the technique and have even the lyric but don't have the enthusiasm or the emotion or the energy and it, it just falls flat and you can't go anywhere. And, uh, and yeah, the energy and enthusiasm for the band for the, or sorry, for the songs and the belief in the songs, even more importantly, I think is, is what comes through tremendously on this album. So, uh, moving on is rejoice, which we've talked about. There's a bit of rejoicing on this album. Uh, <laughs> except it's got um i was reading a quote from one of the books where bono said what what idiot on their second album has the word rejoice that often in the lyrics a a word that's sure to send people running from the record um and yet i found a way to still sing along i don't know i might just be the blindest fan out there when it comes to october where i'm just singing without even knowing what i'm singing about (laughs) I think your perspective, though, that you alluded to earlier of like, you know, not, not, not having the same faith or whatever that they're into, but still finding the the music. Cause often anybody who has that faith is kind of like holds up you too as like, see, look, you know, or whatever. And yes, like yes. you said, the number one Christian band that's ever existed. Yeah. <laughs> like, I get that a lot. Right. And yet I don't have any of the Christian part and they're still the number one band that ever existed to me. I can only imagine what you guys are going through. It must be spectacular. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Lots of rejoicing. Anyway, yes. <laughs> that 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 particular song though has for me the best lyric on the album. I love it. Um, I can't change the world, but I can change the world in me. That is a brilliant line. Mm-hmm. And again, especially in context, right? That's where it's it's hard for us to look now, twenty sixteen remember back to that idea because obviously that's a theme that's uh, underscored a lot of what Bono's doing. Although he has tried to change the world as well, yes. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, definitely carried that through. So, uh, moving on to Fire is the next song that's. Uh Kenny or Aaron, anybody? I hate this song. Oh, wow. All right. <laughs> no, I don't. I really can't stand it. But I was very pleased. I mean, it, it, this is another one which you know you, you can't quite understand. When you buy, I bought Boy, and my version of the vinyl has this little um, at the end of Shadow and Tall Trees has this little screeching guitar that's in the distance, and you're thinking, hmm, that's strange. And you hear October, and of course, it's the it's it's basically a rough uh, guitar solo for Fire as you hear it. So obviously this, the, the song Fire was going around for a long, long time. And it was only, of course, when we had the Boy remastered edition, we get to hear Saturday Night, which is uh, obviously the, the, the first time they recorded Fire. So they recorded Fire as a totally different 
lyric, a different style of melody, but the, the backing track effectively is the same song. So they must have done that back in 1980. So fire, but fire, I just don't like. I can't stand it. And you know, it, it, this is isn't this the song where they play Top of the Pops in the UK, and it, they play the song, and it actually goes down the okay. following week by their appearance. <laughs> wow. first, first time on, first time on, and they all wore yeah. black badly. I think all wore black. Yeah. It. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and Bono can't even mime to his own lyrics. I mean, good yeah. God. it's it's one of the most dreadful top of the pops performances of all time (laughs) and you know I think Bono would be the first one to to admit to that it's dreadful I quite liked it live but I agree on the recording it's a bit particularly the opening part of it's a bit painful Mm. That's I had in my notes it's just definitely sounds of its time in the early 80s like it's oh uh, yeah 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 so all right well I'm 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 pleasantly surprised we found a track that Aaron vehemently <laughs> has no problem. Yep. I, uh, I would set it on fire. <laughs> All right, so let's move on before Aaron burns the place down. Uh, tomorrow. I had noted just the rare inclusion of actual Irish instruments in it. The I don't know how you pronounce it even. Ulian? Ulian. Ulian pipes. And this is this is this is a song. This is a great song. This is yeah. uh, this is a song that is again another song in the theme of Bono's mother. We know the the background behind this song. This is a song written about uh, his 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 dead mother. Who'd been in me is about seven years past, and you know it's in the line of "I Will Follow." It's in the line of "Mofo." All the songs that we know, Iris. This is a, a great song. It's the most Irish-sounding song, clearly, because of the uh, the introduction of the Ulian pipes. Um, sorry to be a nerd on here. Who's that one? Vinnie Kilduff plays on this uh, the back backing track. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, it gives it a unique sound. It's absolutely beautiful, particularly the outro, when uh, the, the combination of the the five musicians effectively with Vinnie Kilduff playing on top, and it, it's a it's just a beautiful melody. Which, when you say now, like thinking about it, like he, he's twenty one when he records this, and what, or so, I mean, what did you say? He's six years, seven years gone on from when his mum. His mother passed in seventy four. Yeah, was and it? I and having what just watched the songs uh, Innocence and Experience. Uh, concert video and when he's talking about it in there with iris or whatever was mom passing it's as this 50 something year old guy who's talking about it you know from 50 or 40 some yeah. years ago and it's kind of just this thing in the past and whatever but like yeah when you think about it at, at that stage like that's still relatively fresh raw you know it's a thing he's going to sing about now around the world yeah. and uh and that it's and, yeah and the, the, the passion in his voice when he sings it oh. you really feel for the guy Mm-hmm. You know, Th- this really is good. the best song. You're, you're exactly. I would right. agree. This yeah. is the one where the the mood of it, you're in his head immediately. Even if yeah. you haven't lost your own mother, you're thinking of something you have lost, or someone you have lost. I like that they remade this later on for that Irish uh, record. Was just Adam and Bono together. I like everything it's, about this, right. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's the Common Ground yeah. album. Yeah. Yeah. I like yeah. the live versions. I like the this this studio thing. I, it's got the word Jesus in there, and yet I still love it. So it is. <laughs> this is a good one right here. Yeah, and it's on the remastered uh, deluxe edition too. So if, if completest, I'm 
if anybody isn't doesn't have it that would want it, I'm sure they already have it because why would you not, I guess, at this point? But it is on that and uh, links to that album in the show notes, of course, iTunes and Spotify or whatever. You can find it there um, just to take a listen because I hadn't really re- realized that. And yeah, going back and listening to that alternate version, is it's worth checking out for sure. Uh, I, th- I think as well that this is another one for me, you know, because there is this irony around about the whole lyrics and stuff like that, but it, it, it's really powerful. And he paints... You know, you know the, the, the picture he paints. You know that that somebody's knocking at the door. There's a black car parked at the side mm. of the road. You know, it's just I, I I agree with everybody else. I think this is the, the standout track for a whole variety of reasons, um, and I think it's hugely emotional actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think the choice of the Ulian pipe in particular makes the song. I mean, it'd be it'd be interesting if to hear it without the Ulian pipe. It would be such a different song, and it makes that it makes the whole, as I said, the outro. It just soars. It, it just lifts off completely, goes up a key. It's fantastic. There are some live versions with more of the pipey stuff, which makes it even better. Yeah. So yeah, good stuff. Wow, we agree. Chris, what about you? Do you hate that one too? <laughs> No, I, I definitely love that song. And uh, moving on to October, which, uh, like I said earlier, has been featured in the was in the last tour in a unique way. Uh It becomes a prefix to New Year's Day later on. Most people have seen it coupled with that. Um, there are not many words to it, and it is so uh, so vast as to have no actual meaning, but you can put whatever you want on there. Those are my favorite songs. Um, this was also a piano that it was like a hidden track, so you think you're getting a rock and roll album, and then there's a piano part. And I remember that most bands of this era would have sort of a – not a, this is not a love song, but a quiet song mixed in with all the big ones. I remember The Alarm doing something like this. Um, my favorite Zeppelin song was a quiet one that I would send to girls. It's all about the girls. You guys. Um, <laughs> but this was every, before the word existed, every emo person's like, this is the one. No one understands me. I'm an adolescent. I got to put my stupid orange headphones on that existed back in 1982 and sit there and listen to this. And I don't really know what it's about, but I know it makes me feel, right? We used to need excuses to feel certain ways when you're young. When you're old, you just feel and you can't stop it. But when you're young, you need to like this. I must be sad and this song is going to be perfect. Um, but I, I loved hearing it live because the, the arena gets quiet and everybody's impressed that Edge is playing piano. Um, I like that people are singing along without really knowing what they're singing about. And it's very, very short. I just think it's different than most of the other stuff that they did then. And even since, Mm -hmm. right. Just sitting down at the piano, the two of them, um, the metronome, I always thought was kind of weird. Like maybe edge needed that because he wasn't such a good piano player. I don't know, but the click, click, click that we have. Yeah. Um, it's just, it, it, uh, it's so different from the other stuff. I guess that's what I like about it. (laughs) And interesting in the uh, live, the most recent concert document or video, um, you can kind of hear when Edge plays the intro and he pauses before Bono comes in. You can hear fans. It's it's hard to tell if they're like clapping in appreciation that Bon or Edge played the piano, and it's just kind of like we're moving. And the 
before the lyric starts, or if they're just thinking that's all it is, is just like this funny little instrumental that, you know, how familiar they are with the, the actual song. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it comes again, speaking as a fan, the Yaktung baby and forward fan or whatever, it's a beautiful way to get introduced or reintroduced to that, that song for sure with a shout. Yeah, I, I, I'm totally with Michael, by the way, on this. I, I, I like the al- album not for religious reasons. I like it for it being uh, what it is, uh, the tunes and everything. This song uh, is probably about as religious as you can get, I guess. <laughs> it certainly mentions Jerusalem quite a few times, uh, etc. But um, this song for me is exhausting, uh, but in a really, really good way. Um, I love the tempo of it. Um, there's certain key changes in it which I just think are absolutely sublime um, and there's a particular point I always go whoa at when, when the song comes on it's the uh, and it's the bit when they, they talk about going to the foot of Mount Zion to the foot of he who made me see now that's not I don't say that because of what he's actually talking about uh, in relation to that um, it's just the energy and passion I think somebody mentioned earlier on um, about the passion and, and actually there's, I think the song's in a way quite punky actually so again uh, you know so uh, I, I just you know it's a driving song it's um, it's full of energy I think it takes a lot of flack actually so it does from, from certain uh, corners of the uh, U2 kingdom out there but I just think it's fabulous This is um, a song that if I recall Bono has discussed in the past about reading the Psalms of David from the uh, Old Testament. So the, I think a lot of the lyrics go back to that. And I'm no theologian, but this is um, a song that he really wears his heart in his sleeve, as you say, because that it is a very passionate uh, song. He really lets go on this one, I think. Yeah, he definitely, like uh, Michael had said too, it's, it's hard to like even being as uninterested as you are in any sort of Jesus stuff, I guess, or whatever is uh, the one, like I want to go to the foot of the Messiah, to the foot of he who made me, like you said, Kenny. And it's, it's kind of like that dual, like great lyric just on its own and never mind any sort of Christian Jesus stuff. But then also obviously having that connecting point for those who do is kind of like really cool as well. So um, the sort of duality that they uh, sort of straddle both worlds with that very well. So for, for most of this album, I don't have to believe, but I have to believe that they believe and that's good enough mm. for me. Right. They're, I mean, it's not like they're mm. faking this. There's, yeah. this is not a way to sell more albums to have lyrics like this. Yeah. Right. They're especially, you know, in, in the cool early eighties. Yeah, Jerus- so, mentioning Jerusalem like that and <laughs> Messiah and stuff, unless it was like rock god Messiah <laughs> coming or whatever. <laughs> they're not kidding around, and I can see that, and it makes the music better to me. Yeah, very cool. Uh, okay, Stranger in a Strange Land. I'm trying to keep us under two hours here, <laughs> so we'll keep going. But- and failing. Yeah, I <laughs> know. <Yeah. laughs> Part of the reason uh, 
this is a particular favourite again for me, but um, it was seemingly it was written in relation to um, when they were in Berlin, uh, etc. But I actually prefer to kind of look at it through almost the lens of uh, a sort of early Sunday Bloody Sunday, um, mm-hmm. and it's been discussed before that it's it's been you know, it's got connotations or certainly linkages to the the, the troubles mm-hmm. in Northern Ireland, um, you know and. Um, you know, the soldier asked for a cigarette, his smiling face, I can't forget. I mean, I just think some fantastic lyrics in there. So uh, for me, uh, it's, a, it's a, I guess, a kind of a strange song in a way, uh, where it sits uh, on the album, particularly after being completely exhausted after With a Shout. Um, but um, no, great, great, great song. And as I say, just the, the great lyrics. Very cool. Okay. Um, the, where are we here? Scarlet. Uh... These are the hardest lyrics of all. Aren't they? I was going to say, they're they're very profound. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is a song Bob Dylan would be proud of, wouldn't they? Eh? <laughs> rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Wow, we. <laughs> no, seriously, I, I, I love this song. Actually, daft as it sounds, um, I'd love to know why it's called Scarlet. Oh, yeah. yeah. Anybody? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> no idea. Uh, it does. It does. It's got all the chimes that you know. YouTube becomes famous for. It sounds like a bunch of bells playing, but yeah. what is it trying to tell us? Why is it scarlet? No the, man the, can say. This for me was my personal highlight. To hear this on the 360 tour was just yeah. outstanding. And, and what a thing to play! Yeah. <laughs> on such a strange track to play. Wasn't in it? in the middle of a, you know stadiums that were holding yeah. ninety thousand people. I mean, it was just incredible to play that. Yeah, and it's 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 an interesting connecting point, I guess, back to like what we were saying of of this there being their sophomore out al- or second album and they're, you know, having to follow up the big hit and stuff and, and they still put stuff like this on the album and then still having a bit of that spirit of doing that on a live like there's obviously they know they can play some of get away with playing some of the old cuts and they'll have the hardcore fans who are like salivating and drooling because they're playing those songs live. But still, it takes guys to play that in a 30-some thousand or whatever stadium where you know half the audience is going to be booing if they don't play with or without you or whatever and to yeah. stick stick a song well, like this in. I, I generally can't remember whether it was ever played before live. You know, it really, to me, I, I don't think it was. I, it was on a radio show. Radio yeah, it was show, probably think, the yeah. Kid, Kid Jensen. Uh, Richard Skinner, I think it was. Richard yeah. Skinner, that's right, in the BBC in England. Um but yeah, I mean, what, what a song to pull, pull out of the uh, out of the bag. Yeah, on YouTube.com, they list it as being in on their song archive anyways, uh, just starting 2010, which is, yeah, what is that, the 360 tour, right, that we're talking 360 about? 360 tour, yeah. Yeah, yeah. until 2011. I mean, we, we have got a website <laughs> called right. tours.actually2.com. <laughs> we ought to look at it. I mean, I actually... Uh, it's too bad somebody doesn't work on that site who knows about yeah, Google yeah, SEO yeah, and stuff, because yeah, yeah, U2 site true. is popping up ahead of it for some reason right now. <laughs> but we'll see this will be the test to see if Matt has listened this far uh, okay finally uh, the last song and maybe what you're asking about with this podcast is is that all is, is that all <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
Aaron, you want to cover? Yeah, I mean, this is, um, I, I, you know, it's an it's a jaunty little track, isn't it? At the end, I mean, it again has another relationship to being a bit desperate, obviously trying to fill forty minutes, two sides of twelve uh, inch vinyl, and uh, they've obviously got to get the last track in, and it's a recut of a intro song that called the cry that was uh, combined with um, the uh, electric co pretty much from the whole of the boy tour right through to probably was played through to the unforgettable fire tour i think kenny wasn't there i don't think they've played it since then and of course we no, know it. Yeah, yeah, lo- yeah. lots of people know it anyhow the cry even if they don't know that the, the the song title itself they would know it from under a blood red sky uh, for sure um but uh, is that all? Is is yeah, it's the same backing track effectively? The same intro, the same, um, the same start to it with the, the, the guitar and the the, the call um, from Bono. Um, it, it also ends in a bit of a clatter and bang, doesn't it? With the guys almost like abandoning their instruments <laughs> and walking away, and everybody's doing a bit of a whistle. And uh, it, you know, it, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because you hear all this bang and clatter and. Then it all goes very, very calm and just stops. Yeah, to, to read the lyrics pure, and independent of, of even the the music or whatever, and and in light of all the stuff we've talked about, obviously with the album and the lyrics disappearing, et cetera, and the stress in the band, it is kind of a funny one to like. Oh, to sing the song makes me happy. I'm not happy with you. Oh, to sing the song makes me dance. Is that all? Kind of like okay, finally mm. we've got the last song. <laughs> I don't know if they actually record so this. Is that song. all you want from me? Yeah, like yeah. as if they're speaking to the record label or their manager at the fall or whatever, and like. <laughs> just kind of like let's get to the pub where we want to be done this one already and move on kind of thing but um yeah still a interesting way to end yeah in this album it's it's definitely the song that is they must have had literally the last day the last half hour and they had to do something there and then a bit like 40 and regretfully it doesn't have the classic yeah, uh, nobody's singing this at the end. The classic of <laughs> We hold our hands up. Is that all? They leave one at a time. Imagine how the band could have been different. Yes, this this totally smells like a filler, even though I like singing it. But yeah, I can picture them like the guys turning the lights off while they while they finish up, and they got to get out of there. Yeah. Somebody sweeps the floor. floor. Yeah. yeah. Despite all, despite all of these songs. Despite some of the songs being a bit naff, even Fire, uh, even Is That All, I would not change the, the, the track listing. I wouldn't want to hear one second less. I wouldn't want to hear one second all. I love this album. I really I do. Totally agree. Yeah, definitely. And that's where I think um, if you are, a, like we've talked about, a later U2 fan and haven't gone back to listen to the earlier stuff, hopefully these these episodes are inspiring you to maybe go back and check them out album from start to finish and, uh, and re-listen if you haven't listened in a while anyways, uh, definitely, uh, just a fun, ex- fun little experiment, I guess, and a fun little journey back through U2's history that way, not attempting to be exhaustive, obviously in every single detail of the album, but just to have a fun discussion around the table of, uh, of what we like and don't like, uh, about, uh, Adam's base. I'm Gloria. Uh, <laughs> so uh, next up, we'll be covering War, which uh, I, I don't have the list in front of me. There's folks who are... The way we're doing this, by the way, if, in case you're curious, is we I put a list together basically for the IU2 staff and just said, here's the album. Obviously, everybody knows the albums, but here's the list and the order we're doing in, which is also fairly obvious. And uh, throw your name down and we'll get a group together to talk about each album. So 
I also understand, Chris, within the staff rules that each podcast has to get longer. Right. So by the time we get <laughs> by the time by the time we get to Songs of Innocence, it will oh, be a fourteen-hour podcast. I'm going to need a new, <laughs> new computer to be able to record it alone. <laughs> Go buy an external. You'll yeah. need it. <laughs> All right. Uh, we might have to do uh, w- double side albums, I guess, or whatever for <laughs> double album releases for the future podcast. Um, so, Aaron, why don't you kick us off? Where can folks find you if they want to uh, disagree or agree with some of your comments on? Uh, on the, yeah, uh, well, um, I, you can catch me on Twitter on at Ivanobe, I-V-A-N-O-B-E. Um, I'm no doubt on Facebook as Aaron Govan. That's a very big surprise there. Um, yeah. I'm right OTRs as well, so contact me via the uh, the Twitter page. But please, please come to Dublin. Yes, yeah, definitely. And yeah. Uh, if nothing else, I, uh, I want to see many selfies with Aaron uh, progressively throughout I, the night. I might even get up on stage, as to say, and sing a bit of a ditty. Oh, right. Nice. I hope it's I hope it's Scarlet. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> yes. Well, I won't. I won't struggle with the lyrics at least. Yeah. Or is that all? Yeah, yeah. How about you, Kenny? Where can folks find you and follow you if they want? On the uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Sing No More, uh, as just as the that, word says. That's probably what will happen to me when they get. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Too right. Uh, and I'm also on the the forum. I'm on one of the forum mods, so come and uh, have a bit of banter with me there. And and likewise, uh, I'm heading to Dublin as well. So uh, if any of you are kicking about and uh, I've given up. Uh, doing selfies with uh, Aaron come and selfie with me <laughs> there we go uh, autographs with famous members of the at YouTube podcast <laughs> <laughs> who survived uh, to our recordings <laughs> uh, and Michael Vox uh, what were we supposed to say Michael Vox answer guy <laughs> I'm jealous that I will not be in Dublin yeah. I want to hear all about it so be sure to give us the remember how we all felt at the New York show when those guys showed up and we weren't there but we were kind of there mm-hmm. uh, I want you guys we, to do that for us so, so we, just we'll, make stuff we will up have, we will. we'll have Periscope on the go I'm sure yes we will. if you could do that please you could Tim Newfeld um, uh, I'm at Michael Vox once in a while on Twitter and all over the place all right Awesome. And I'm iChris on Twitter. And uh, this episode of the podcast, you can find at goodstuff.fm slash A2. A2. It's been too long. A2. 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 <laughs> my brain, my words aren't lettering anymore. Uh, goodstuff.fm slash ATU2 slash 35 is where you can find this episode. You can follow the at YouTube crew on Twitter at ATU2 and facebook.com slash ATU2com. Uh, and, uh, be sure to check out, uh, the album. Of course, there's links in the, in the show notes to the album and various services. If you have not ever, for whatever reason, have never checked it out and maybe you don't want to go back to the old YouTube just because of, uh, Adam's hair or whatever on the cover, uh, get past that and, and listen to a great album from, uh, the archives of YouTube that, uh, like we said, shaped the band into who they are today, no doubt. So, Thank you for listening. We'll be back next episode discussing war and uh, be sure to send in questions, comments uh, about the podcast, either this one that just happened, or if you have comments about war that you want to interject into the the show, use the hashtag ask at you too. And uh, we'll definitely take your comments and questions uh, into the next episode. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Bye. Is that all? (laughs) Is that all?